Welcome to Data Science Now, a podcast by Cluster, with your host, Fabio Vasquez. On this episode, you'll learn about different techniques and trends in the exploration and preparation of data for modeling, a crucial process in every data science project. Follow us on social media at Cluster Team. This is Data Science Now. Hello and welcome everyone to a new session of Data Science Now. Uh, it's been a while in the last session, uh, but I'm very happy to be here with you again. Um, this is season two, where we are focusing on the basics of data science. Um, just a quick reminder, um, this is going live on LinkedIn right now, but this is going to be um, recorded and sent to YouTube Uh, you can follow us on Cluster. If you search for Cluster on YouTube, you'll see uh, all of the videos of the, the past sessions. This is also being transformed into a podcast, so you can hear us on Spotify or iTunes or Google Podcasts. And also, make sure to subscribe to our newsletter. This is um, happening after this session. And in this uh, newsletter... I go into more detail on some of the things I mentioned here in the live session. And also, you'll get the links, the images, and everything I discuss in here. Uh, I want to thank uh, all of the 36,000 subscribers we have to the newsletter right now. So, welcome everyone again. Great. So, the topic of today's session is exploring and preparing data. In this past session for the season, we've been covering business understanding and data collection. Those are the first two steps in every data science project. Um, I want to make sure that you understand that if you take out of the context of a data science... Oh, Einstein is falling. Here you go. Um, if you take outside of the context uh, all of these pieces, it's going to be kind of weird. So make sure to watch all of the episodes before so you can see what I'm building in this season. The topics for today are, as I mentioned, exploring and um, analyzing data and also preparing data. Uh, but before that, we need to talk about something very important. And it's what is data analytics? I know that I mentioned that the name of the season is the basics of data science, but before understanding what data science is, and I've covered that in other videos, um, is that data analytics was the beginning of all of this. And I want to go back uh, to a paper by John Tukey in the 60s, um, and this paper is called The Future of Data Analysis. This is an important paper. Uh, Make sure to check that. I'm going to be posting a link to the paper later in the newsletter. But in here, he, he talks about the concept of data analytics as a, a new iteration for statistics. It's important that you understand that data science is not random. It, it, it didn't happen at random. We had a process, a, a historic process that, that transformed us uh, into what we call right now data science. Um, so, I want to start the session by defining data analytics, uh, data analysis, um, and this is a definition by John Tukey. 
He says that data analysis is are, are the procedures for analyzing data, techniques for interpreting the results of such procedures, ways of planning the gathering of data to make its analysis clearer or easier, and the machinery and results of mathematical analysis and statistics which apply to analyzing data. As you can see, this is a definition of something that we can also call data science. There are more, more things that we have to include into that definition to transform data analysis into data science. But remember that this is a very old paper from the 60s, 70s, um, and this was the beginning of our field. By the way, John Tukey also has a book called Exploratory Data Analysis. And in this book, he set up the environment and all of the tools, the mathematical tools, the statistical tools to start exploring data and understanding data. By the way, if you have any questions for me, make sure to post them in the, in the LinkedIn chat. Um, I'm going to be uh, checking the chat um, while I'm presenting. Uh, so if you have any questions, please let me know and I can stop and, uh, and answer your question or maybe in the end I can answer your question. Great. So now we know the gist of what is data analysis. Um, I have a session that, that, was, that happened in the last season that where, where I discuss what was, what's the history of data science and how uh, we, and, and, and where we came from, okay? But right now, I want to make sure that you understand that one of the most important pieces that Tuki mentioned about data analysis is um, the procedures for analyzing data and the techniques for interpreting the results of such procedures. Analyzing data is crucial. So right now, after you understood the business, the problems and all of that, after you gather the data, you can use internal data, external data, open data, and stuff like that. I covered that in the newsletter um, for the past um, session. Now it's time to start understanding the, the, the business through analysis of the data they have. Um, one of the things I want to, um, to emphasize at this point is that this is an iterative process. If you go and do data science on your own or you're working with a company or you're a consultant uh, and you have done projects in the past, you know that this is not a straight line. You, it, I mean, it's almost impossible that you will be creating a project where you understand the business, collect the data, explore it, and then you go to modeling and then to deployment. That's very unusual. Well, we what normally happens is that you start working and uh, understanding more and more things about your data. And when you do that, you'll get more information about the business. You'll get more information about the process of data collection. And this is an iterative process. Okay, So you will go back and forth through uh, the steps uh, to be able to solve the problem. Um, so in... Uh, at this point, this, this is a very tight, um, close concept to what we do in statistics. Most of the techniques we use for exploring and preparing data uh, that we're going to define very soon 
are going to be statistical tools. So you're going to be using a lot of different things that are coming from statistics. And this is why you shouldn't be starting any data science project without understanding statistics and probability and inference and all of that. So before, I mean, before trying to apply all these techniques, please make sure that you understand them, you understand the math behind them, and then you can go and apply them. So let me go now and, and give you a, a basic definition of exploratory data analysis. This, are, this is a term we hear a lot when we're working or investigating data science. Um, we use data analysis as a technique to understand better the data we have. But before doing that, we also have to explore the data. So a basic, uh, a basic definition of exploratory data analysis is the critical process of performing initial investigations on data to discover patterns, to spot anomalies, to test hypotheses, and to check assumptions with the help of summary statistics and graphical representations. This is coming from an article um, uh, written by Prasad Patil, I'm going to be uh, putting the link to this article into this, the newsletter so you can check all of my sources. Uh, but I think this is a very good definition of what we're doing here. So let's, let's read this again with care. We want to discover patterns. We want to spot anomalies. And we want to test hypotheses and check assumptions. Assumptions are very important. In the process of exploring the data, you always have an, a, a hypothesis in mind. When you, go, when you went and understand the business and you collect the data, what's with an idea in your head to solve a problem? And when you have a defined problem in data science, you will always be creating hypotheses that will leave, uh, lead the process of exploring and modeling. So when you go and, and, and test your hypothesis, you need first to understand the data you have in your hands. And to do that, we do have techniques. Um, you can do this in different tools, okay? Uh, I'm trying to maintain these sessions agnostic in the way that I'm not explaining specifically any technique. Um, in the course I'll be launching in the future, I'll be using Python, but um, there are a lot of different ways that you can interact with data. Some examples are, of course, Python. In there, you can use Pandas and stuff like that. You have the world of R. And, on, and in the world of R, you have the tidyverse. You have dplyr and you have ggplot and all of these great tools for exploring and, and, and plotting data. But you can also use Excel to do this. You can use the, the inherit functions of Excel to, uh, to do all of this. And also, uh, you can use tools like, like SAS, uh, like SPSS, you can use tools like Trifecta, you can use do tools like Tableau, MicroStrategy, Power BI. I mean, you have a lot of different uh, options in here. But the important is not the tools. I mean, the, the tools are going to be helping you. But if you don't understand the process of how to do this, you're going to be lost in the space and just try to understand the tool and know what you really want to do is, is understand the data. So exploratory data analysis is 
I mean, always happens in the beginning of a data science project. After you understood the business and the project, after you gather the data, after you collect the data, you start exploring the data. So how do we do this? Normally, we, we do this by, as, as, as mentioned by, by, by definition, uh, by the definition, by summary statistics and by graphical representations. What are summary statistics? So those are some metrics that are coming from statistics about our data. One example of this is the mean of, a, of, of the, uh, your, your, your data can be the, the, the median, uh, I don't know, like the percentiles you have in there, uh, some basic information you have on the, the column. Um, and this will lead into a different uh, step in here that I want to make sure that you understand as well in here, and is the measuring the variation. This is coming from the book um, R for Data Science by Hadley Wickham. So Hadley, if you're there watching this in the future, hello. Big fan. Uh, so uh, Hadley, in this amazing book, uh, is only for R, but it's a great book for uh, for actually understanding the, um, um, the the concepts behind data science. He says that variation is the tendency of values of a variable to change from measurement to measurement. Okay, and we normally when we study variation of the data, we talk about something called the distribution. Of the data. Normally, we when when we say data in here, we can, we have several ways of understanding uh, the concept of data. It can be a column in your um, in your Excel sheet, a column in your Pandas data frame, a column in your R data frame, or, or something like that. Um, and normally, that column will have to be something like a, a categorical variable, a continuous variable, a date. Something like that. Um, so when you have that information about your column and your data, you start thinking about what is the distribution of my data. So and this distribution will depend whether the variable is categorical of co or, or continuous. If the variable is, is categorical, um, you can only take one of a small set of values, like one, two, or three, or good, bar, good, bad, very good and very bad, something like that. And, and you, you have techniques to explore this. We normally explore this type of data, um, um, the idea of uh, bar plots. So let's say you, you did a survey and you ask people, um, what do you think about this product? And the question they will give you, the, the answer is, uh, I think it was very bad, I think it was bad. I I'm, um, I, ha I don't have an answer like n neutral. It was good or very good. When you're trying to understand that piece of data that is categorical, you normally do a bar plot or, or a frequency plot. In this idea, you understand the, understand the, the, the distribution means how many answers we got for bad, how many answers we got for, for good, how many answers we got for very good and very bad, and what, is, and what are their differences. So we're measuring the variation in here on our data. If your data is continuous, um, and this an example of this can be uh, the price of a house. If you have a data set of, 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 of prices for houses, you can understand the distribution of this continuous variable. Normally, you do that with something called the histogram. 
and a histogram is also a measure of, frequen of, of frequency. But in this case, it can be continuous, and so we don't measure uh, number by number, but we set up bins. And in these bins, we have information about um, the distribution on, of, of, in this example, the price of the houses. When you plot the histogram, you will see a tendency normally. Like uh, you have a data set of expensive houses, or you have, or you have a data set of cheap houses, or you have a combination of medium uh, prices and big and like expensive houses and cheap houses. So this will give you an idea on the distribution of your data, and this is important. And why is this important? Because you want to understand the data, because you want to understand this to be able to um, check your assumptions. Let's say you are exploring the prices of houses in New York. Your assumption will be that they will be expensive, okay? Because New York is a very expensive market for housing. Um, so when you go and study your data, and then you realize that you only have cheap houses in there, so you, you got a contradictory answer to your assumptions, but that's also information you can use for modeling. We're not going to be talking about modeling in this uh, a particular session, but one of the ideas of exploring and preparing data is to then create machine learning models. Um, so you check your assumptions. You have a hypothesis of your data. And then one of the ways to quickly check if you're right or wrong is to check uh, the distributions of your variables and the variation you have in there. Another thing that is very common when you're exploring data is to set for um, try to find patterns and anomalies. So what is a pattern in here? A pattern means something that can be that, that repeats or something that is there all the time. So it's something that you will be understanding as something happening that is uh, that's describing the way the data is being presented to you. A pattern could be if you check for the stock price of your favorite stock and you see that every December the stock hits its maximum, that's a pattern. Okay, you have something that it's been repeated over time and you can understand, oh, uh, this uh, particular stock will be at its maximum. I mean, it has been at, his, at, his, at its maximum in the past four years every December. So it's very likely that that will happen again. Again, we're talking about likelihoods and probabilities. When we're understanding past data, the idea here is to, I mean, our, our main assumption, our main assumption is that these patterns will happen again in the future. Okay, if you have a very stochastic set of data, if the data is completely nonlinear without patterns and, and something very weird, uh, like a very weird distribution, it's going to be very hard for you to predict that particular set of information. But we do have tools to transform weird data into something we know. And that is when the idea of data preparation comes in. Data preparation means that you, you, you sometimes need ways to transform the data you have into something that you understand better or to extract information out of your data. 
So when you have data about a process, you can create new variables out of the data you already have. Normally, that process is called feature engineering because you're engineering new features out of the data you have. Um, an example of this will be if you have information about the date of something happening. Let's say you have records um, of um, how many people are buying uh, coffee in your favorite coffee shop, okay? And you have data, like the, the date of the sale. So you have the, the year, you have the, the month, the day, and the hour. That is the data you have, but you can create new features out of that. You can extract from the date the month, you can extract the day, the day of the week, you can extract from that date the, the hour, the minute, and, the, uh, and, and more information if, if it was a, um, a weekend, if it was a weekday, if it was a holiday or not. So this is the process of creating new variables out of your data. So what, th that's one of the things we do when preparing data because it is proven that there are some variables that when you work with them as they are, are not as useful as when you extract information out of it. I mean, there are a lot of data science projects and machine learning uh, algorithms that will work much better if you uh, use as an input the day and the month instead of the whole date. And this is proven. You can, you can prove it by yourself or you can check other notebooks like in Kaggle or competitions. You'll see that it's very, it, it's very common to extract that set of information. Good. We also prepare data uh, to transform the data we have into something we know better. Um, there's an example in here. I'm a physicist, right? So for physicists, the thing we really understand is called the harmonic oscillator. If you're a scientist or, or in, and if you work with physics, you know what I'm talking about. And you can think of that as a simple, um, like, um, idealistic pendulum, right? So we really understand that. I mean, we, we are really experts in understanding the harmonic oscillator. When we try to understand something completely different, what, what people do in physics is try to transform that process into something that looks like the harmonic oscillator. I know that it's an assumption, I mean, and you have to assume, uh, to assume some things, and you have to uh, fix some, some variables for it to work, but it is also proven that that transformation is useful. We have a lot of applications on transforming super complicated problems into simple harmonic oscillators. This is in physics um, to be able to extract information out of this. In the world of data science and the world of statistics, we really understand the normal distribution. And that is the Gaussian distribution. That is the bell curve. Okay. So normally what we do when we have weird distributions are out of our data is to normalize it. And we do it because we really understand the normal distribution and we want to apply all of the things we know about the normal distribution. So one of the tools we have for data preparation is normalizing the data, finding equations that transform our columns into something that we call normal. Another technique we also use is called, is called standardization. And that means... 
um, set, I mean, if you have a variable that goes from zero to a hundred or from zero to a thousand or from zero or, or, or from one to, I don't know, a million, you can transform all of these um, variables into something going from zero to one, from zero to one. So you have a transformation that is transforming any type of, of, um, of range for your columns into something that goes from zero to one, from minus one to one, stuff like that. And why is that useful? Sometimes the machine learning algorithms are sensible to scale. So if you feed the algorithm with a variable that goes from one to 10, another one that goes from one to 200, another one that goes from minus a thousand to three million, that sensibility can affect your results. So we normally standardize data to be able to have a, um, like a regular set of intervals and ranges for our variables. Normally, we combine these things. Normally, we normalize and standardize the data. And these are techniques widely used in the world of data preparation. Um, for, for some people, and you will see this when, when, when checking online courses or books or papers, the ideas of data preparation uh, contain the world of data exploration. Some of these people will not talk about data exploration. They will only talk about data preparation because for them, data exploration happens in the process of data preparation. I am one of the people that thinks that it's better to separate them. Uh, there are some things that are very common that happen at the same time, and you, when, when, when you prepare your data, you're actually exploring the data as well, uh, but it's better to keep them separate because they have different um, goals. One of the things we also do when exploring and preparing data is to check for outliers. Outliers, it's a set of values for your column that are outside of the regular values. Let's say you are working with the ages of people, okay? So you have people's ages. So you have people going from 18 years to 60 years. Cool. So, and then you start checking your data and you create some plots and there are different ways of plotting the data that I'm gonna cover very soon. But when you do the plots, you realize that there was a person that uh, that for some reason their their age was 600 years. It's very unlikely that that was true. Or you see something that had uh, someone that that for some reason their age is minus 35 years old. That is impossible. Okay, so those are errors in your data, and finding outliers is one way to detect this type of erroneous variables, uh, values for variables, sorry. So how you go and do that? This is the normal process. There are a lot of different ways of doing it, but this is the, the standard process. You go and calculate the summary statistics for your, your column, okay? Let's say the mean, the median, uh, standard deviation, uh, the percentiles, and stuff like that. Then you go and you see and, and, and you say anything that is outside of three times the standard deviation out of the mean, I'm going to consider that as an outlier. I'm going to repeat that. You calculate the mean, the median, and everything like that, and then the standard deviation, and then you say one of the common things when we are detecting outlier is to say, 
we're gonna be classifying an outlier as a um, a value that is outside of three means of of three times the mean sorry of three times the standard deviation from the bottom part and from the upper part outside of the mean so when you have so th this will give you a range and something that is outside of the range from here and outside of the range from here in in, in the right side or in the left side you're, you're going to call that an outlier again there are a lot of advanced techniques to do this, but this is one of the ways you can do that. So data preparation and exploration in here comes as one, because yes, you are exploring the data, you're, 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 you're calculating summary statistics, but then you are um, you are defining some things that you're going to be removing out of your data sets. And removing data is very common when you're preparing data. Okay, so normally you you remove outliers. Normally, you also remove missing values or you interpret and then uh, imp um, impute the missing values. A missing value is something that for some reason is not present in your observations. Let's say you have information about a person, but for some reason you don't have their age or you don't have their gender. I mean, there are several reasons for that happening, um, and you can and, and you have to decide then if you want to eliminate that source of information because it contains missing values, or if you want to impute that missing value. And in, in here, there are great techniques and advanced machine learning algorithms to impute these missing values, like. Uh, finding the neighbors out of this um, uh, this value and then putting it there something as simple as just predicting the uh, just putting the average or the mean there for a missing value and stuff like that so uh, those are techniques that you will see widely being widely used in the literature of data science and statistics as a way to understand um, the your your data Another thing that is very important is called covariation, okay? And I'm going to go back again to the uh, uh, definition by Hadley. And in here he says, um, if variation describes the behavior within a variable, covariation describes the behavior between variables. Covariation is a tendency for the values of two or, or, or more variables to vary together in a related way. So you have variation. When, you miss, when you're measuring variation, you're normally talking about uh, how a variable is distributed. When you talk about covariation, we normally talk about how a variable um, or, or how a variable can change when the other one changes. Uh, and this will leave us to the concept of correlation as well. We normally measure correlation as a very important factor when thinking about preparing data for modeling. Again, I'm not going to be exp explicit right now about the machine learning algorithms. That's going to happen in, 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 in a different session. But right now, when we are working for preparing the data for modeling, we always calculate the correlation because it is proven as well that correlated variables with the target are good predictors. I'm going to repeat that. It is proven that correlated variables in general, uh, like 
correlated with the target are good predictors. You will find sometimes that that's not the case. Sometimes it will happen that you have good correlation between a variable and the target, and you won't find a good predictor in, in that variable. That will also happen. And there are a lot of different reasons for that happening. And and um, this is something to, to be more explicit. And there are a lot of statistical uh, tools to, to measure for this. But covariation and correlation are very important if you want to understand the dependencies of variables. So let's go back to the idea of variation and finding the idea of, of, of and, and univariate distributions. In there, depending on the type of variable you have, you call uh, you can plot the histogram, you can plot a bar chart, you can get summary statistics and stuff like that. When you're working with covariation, you start introducing new set of tools for exploring the data. One of these tools is are, 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 called, are called scatter plots. Scatter plots are point plots where you have two continuous variables. Okay, and you want to plot, let's say, the age. I'm going to go back to the example of house pricing. Let's say you have the age of the person who bought that house. You can plot the age of that person and the price of the house. Those are both continuous variables. And you'll get uh, points that is for each age, uh, what was the price of the house? And you'll get several points in there. With scatter plots, you can also find patterns. You can dis um, discover with that plot that people with, uh, with more age buy expensive uh, more expensive houses. Or you can discover for some reason that younger people will buy expensive houses in your data set. And something very important in this case is that you always need to remember that correlation does not imply causation. causation. So correlation does not mean causation. If you find that two variables are correlated or some uh, or of some variable can interact with an, uh, another one, that doesn't mean directly that the variables are uh, uh, like that the happening of one variable is the reason for the other to happen. And this is a common mistake uh, I always see in data science projects. You cannot assume, like, when a variable is uh, interacting with another variable, that they will be having a causation. You need to uh, demonstrate causation. And there are advanced techniques to do that, as well as simple techniques to do that. Um, and uh, you have to prove for that. So... I discovered, I talked about scatter plots for plotting uh, continuous variables. You also, you also have box plots, and that's normally used with one variable if you want to measure uh, the mean and the median and the standard deviations and see it in, in a box. You can also combine these boxes that are normally used with continuous variables with categorical variables. Um, Variables, and you can think of what is the distribution, uh, the, the distribution of age. Uh, by gender. And in here, you start thinking about covariation. You start thinking about how a variable can be affected by the other one. Um, and there are several ways of doing this. And the idea is that you have uh, your, your tools for this are statistical and graphical. There are great things that you can find in here and you can do that are going to be 
super explicit when you plot them. So we normally create a lot of different plots in here. So I mentioned right now histograms, bar plots, scatter plots, uh, scatter plots, and box plots. They are the most used plots when exploring data, but there are more. You have the kernel density plots that are very tied to histograms. You have something called the violin plots. You have the swarm plots, um, and and you have pair plots. It's a lot of different things, and um, and uh, for you as an exercise, uh, make sure to check any book like the one from Hadley Weekend that I'm gonna be putting in the uh, as a link, um, in in the um, as a link in the. Um, newsletter so you can check more about these tools uh, and, and how you can build these graphs and statistics with languages like R and Python. Um, I have a question here by Emilio, and this I think this is a, a very good question, and he says, can you please give an example of on the correlation and the target? Of course. So let's say you want to predict um, if you should give someone a loan or not. Let's say you're working, you're, you are working with a bank, okay? You're working with a bank and you want to, call, uh, to predict if you should give someone a loan or not. A correlation with the target. So the, the target in, in, in here is to give or not to give the loan. Correlation means you have different features when predicting a variable. Let's say you have the age of the person, you have uh, the income of that person, you have how many loans active they have, how many um, paid uh, loans they had in the past, stuff like that. So correlation, it's an equation, by the way, that, that comes from something called the covariance. The covariance is also a definition in statistics, and when you define covariance, you can then define correlation. I'm going to put the, the equation for that in, 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 in the newsletter, okay? So, you have that in there. You, you, and, and, and you want to measure what will happen. Let's say we're going to focus right now on the age of the person and if it's a good thing to give them or not alone. A correlation in this case means when you're measuring the age of a person, if it's higher or lower, how good or bad in the past that person, uh, th those type of persons paid the loan, okay? So those people who um, in, the, in the data set uh, that paid the loan or didn't pay a loan, you'll have the age for that people. And the correlation in this case will measure uh, with the differences of ages, okay, and the target of given or not given alone, uh, how, uh, like, how are there, how are they related? Meaning that if someone has 60 years or 30 years of, or 20 years or 25 years, how good or bad will that person will be paying alone? Again, this is being, this is based on past information. We always do this with past information and we calculate the correlation between, in this case, the age and the loan. What we are assuming in here is that those patterns will repeat in the future. We're assuming in there that the age could be a good predictor for the loan. 
the important thing here is that we normally perform multivariate uh, machine learning algorithms because we, I mean, it's very unlikely that you can predict if you, you should give someone a loan or not by only their age. So you normally have several variables in there and you calculate the correlation between each one of those variables and the target. And, and, and then you will use the most correlated variable with, with the target for predicting. There are great algorithms to calculate the best value, the best variables for predicting, and one of them is called the recursive feature elimination. This is happening. Uh, you normally use this uh, when you're preparing data for modeling uh, in the world of Scikit-Learn and Python. Uh, I'm going to put those links in the newsletter as well, so you can check that. Uh, but uh, you, you have ways to extracting the best variables for predicting, and normally that is related to correlations to the target, and also correlations to each other. And this is an important topic I want to mention in here. It is proven, it is proven as well, that when you have correlated variables to each other, if you use both of them to predict, you're going to be overfitting your model. Again, I'm not, gonna talk, I, I'm not talking about machine learning in here, but when we're preparing the data, we always try to find those, those variables that are highly correlated to each other because you want to select one of them. If you use all of them, you will, you will be overfitting your model, and that's, not, that's never the case. I'm going to be much more explicit about overfitting and machine learning in, 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 the next in, in the next sessions, but right now, this is something you have to think about. I have another question in here uh, by, by uh, C. Harry, and he's, he says, can you please give more examples of feature engineering if possible? Of course. So feature engineering, as I mentioned, is a process of extracting data out of the data you already have or transforming the data you have into something you know more or that is more useful for predicting something. So um, one of the great tools I, uh, I know for do this, to, sorry, to do this is called feature tools. If you work in Python, there's a great library called feature tools that will automatically be doing for you feature engineering. Feature engineering can be time-consuming because you have to think a lot of different things when you're trying to extract data out of the data you already have. Um, and there are ways of doing this. And one of the things of, like, one of the automated, automated ways of doing this is called deep feature synthesis. Um, in this process, you are going to be doing automated feature engineering and, and the idea is that you're combining the raw data you have and the knowledge of the data you already have to create new features. So let me give you a, a quick example out of this. Let's say you have information about reviews from restaurants. Let's say you work um, in, in, some, in a place like Yelp. By the way, Eric, hello. All right, so let, let's say you work at Yelp and you have information about the um, the reviews of restaurants. You can extract information out of those reviews. Let's say you want to extract the sentiment of that, of, of, of that review. Let's say you want to extract the most important words in that review. Let's say you want to extract uh, the topics of the review. 
That is a process that can be combined with machine learning, but in general, what you're doing is to, like, the, the process of extracting features out of data is feature engineering, and you're going to be doing that. So that is one example of feature engineering. Extracting information on uh, about open text is, is a good example of feature engineering. There are a lot of more things, like calculating means, calculating uh, the most repeated values. I don't know, uh, dividing your data by two for some reason. That is a process of engineering a feature. And um, and there are a lot of important things in here you have to consider uh, when you want to model. One of the, the, the things uh, that I see in the comments that is by Sergio, he says that, could you talk lead, uh, more about log transforming both the dependent and independent variable? This is also a process of feature engineering. Sometimes, so, and I'm going to be, uh, again, with the same example. You always want to use the things you really understand, okay? So let's say you have a very complicated model for your data that is exponential or that it contains high, uh, high powers of some variable. Sometimes you really want to use linear regression or, or something like that. So there are ways to transform the features or transform the target so you get something like linear regression. If you remember, let, let me give you a basic example. Let's say you have a verb, uh, a function for modeling that is x squared. That's not linear. That's, that is a parabola. If you apply the log transformation of that by the properties of logarithm, the exponentiation of a logarithm is the same as taking the exponent and putting it in the in um, in the left part of the number and then calculating the logarithm of the variable. So instead of having x squared, you will have x log x. And then you can say that log x is called, I don't know, alpha. And you can now use linear regression. So log transformations are widely used when you really want to use a linear model or you want to see linear dependencies of your models and it's hard to find them when you're working with exponential models. So log transformations are very helpful for that. Good. So um, before finishing, I want to make sure that uh, you understand that this is a process that has a lot of different moving parts, uh, but it's crucial in the worlds of data science. And putting it all together, the idea of data exploration and preparation are very, very similar. But exploration has the idea on finding patterns uh, checking for assumptions and 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 seeing more about your data after you collected it and after you understand the context of your business and the business problems. Data preparation all is is always think um, um, you, you think about that when you are modeling, when you want to uh, find more information about your data, when you want to transform your data into something that you already know. And there are several tools to do this. You have Python for this, like feature tools. You have R, you have the Tidyverse for this. And you have stuff like Tableau and SAS and SPSS and MATLAB and so on and so forth. There are also automated ways of doing this. One of the tools for that is called Explorium. And I, and I actually uh, created an article about Explorium uh, last week. So I'm going to be putting the link to that as well um, in the newsletter so you can see how tools like Explorium, and there are others, of course, can help you extract and transform your variables um, automatically without thinking that much about it. 
So, um, okay, with that, I'm going to be um, uh, finishing uh, the the session. I want to thank everyone for being here. Please let me know uh, in the comments or later if this hour works better for you. We normally do this in the night. I mean, my night. Uh, we're moving this to 1 p.m. Um, so you uh, so it's better for other people around the world. But let me know if this hour works for you or you prefer the other hour. I may launch a poll later on LinkedIn to 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 check um, um, what you think is best. Uh, but for now, make sure to follow uh, Cluster on, on, on social media. We are here at LinkedIn at Cluster. Um, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, we are Cluster Team. Uh, make sure to follow the newsletter. I, I want to thank, again, the 36,000 subscribers we have for the newsletter. Uh, to subscribe to my newsletter, go to my profile and then go to my articles. When you go to my articles, you're going to see that I'm going to be posting the newsletter in there. So click uh, their call, Data Science Now, Episode 1, stuff like that. If you click in there, you, you will be seeing a button that says subscribe. So in there, if you subscribe, you're going to get one email per week at most um, from the session with all of the links, the video, the podcast, everything in one place for you to check. I want to thank my team, Gabriel, Eileen, and Hazel for helping me creating uh, these, these, these sessions. Uh, make sure to uh, to give me your, uh, your, your feedback. If you want to see more about a topic, let me know. Um, and again, thank you very much for being here and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.